Let's pray together. Almighty Father, uh, as we come now to your word and to consider the words of Jesus, we ask um, that we would, really, I ask that you will um, actually give us the foundation that Jesus talks about. Jesus says, um, those who, who hear my words and, and put them into practice are like those who, who build their house on a good foundation. So simply, we ask that you would just give us that foundation. Do whatever it takes in us. We want it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. Um, please uh, keep the service sheets in front of you. We're going to be focusing primarily on that second reading from uh, Matthew, and we're, we're finishing the Sermon on the Mount today, which is remarkable. It's been months. Um, one of the marks uh, of the Christian life, one of the tests of the Christian life is this. How does it hold up when the wheels come off? Here's what I mean by that. Um, the mark of being an authentic Jesus follower is not, look, I follow Jesus and now everything's great all the time. Sometimes Christians talk as if that's the case, uh, but that's simply not the case. Jesus never says it'll be that way. A, a better way to say it is very often, uh, one of the marks of being an authentic Jesus follower is to say, look, I'm a Jesus follower, and he has proved himself faithful in spite of the fact that I've been to hell and back. But all the way through that, he has shown himself consistently there, faithful, trustworthy, and he is my rock in spite of the storm. Not that he keeps me out of it, but in spite of it. Now, here's why I'm saying that. As I said, we're finishing the Sermon on the Mount. We're looking at that second reading. And Jesus lands the Sermon on the Mount in a really kind of interesting way. He, he lands seeking. We started to see this last week. He's seeking to uh, bring us to a point of decision. And it's as if he says, uh, listen, here it is. Here's the Sermon on the Mount. Here's my vision for human flourishing. Are you in? Are, are, are you in? Great. If you are... Hear my words and do them, and there'll be a strong foundation. On the other hand, however, it's as if he says, but if you're not going, if, if you're not in, then don't pretend. Don't pretend. Don't say, um, don't nod your head and smile, plaster on a smile and kind of say, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus, kind of. Um, but then not actually do what he says. And, and, and he says, the reason you don't want to do that is that uh, that kind of a foundation, pretending just won't just won't stand up in the storm. And so he projects this stark distinction, and that's what this story of the two houses is all about. A lot of us will have uh, heard this story. If you've grown up in the church at all, you can't get by without it. Um, but it's, it's the story of, of two houses that are identical. Uh, cosmetically, they're identical, and yet in spite of that, they respond very differently to a storm. A storm comes and beats against both houses. One crumples under the weight of the storm, so to speak, and the other stands strong. And the difference, Jesus says, is at the foundation. Uh, Manhattan has tall buildings. London historically doesn't. You know why? Because Manhattan is built on concrete, uh, on, on, on uh, granite, and London is built on sediment and sand. One builds them, they, they figured out how to build them tall more recently, but historically, it was a bit of a lower, lower city, and that's why it's an issue of foundation. 
Now, what do I want to do is look at this and consider this. I want to point out three things. First of all, the Sermon on the Mount has proved res remarkably resilient. It's a resilient foundation. That's the first thing. Secondly, that resilience is, an, is a sign of Jesus' authority, that you can trust him. And thirdly, his authority is a call to action. First of all, um, the Sermon on the Mount is just a resilient foundation. One of the interesting things, I think, you can tell me later if you, if you agree with this, but it seems to me that one of the interesting things about Christianity is the way vibrant Jesus following has regularly flourished in times of profound difficulty. The most obvious example of that is right at the very beginning of Christianity. Um, I've, we've talked about this before. In the first century, there were a number of different uh, people and movements that claimed to be the Jewish Messiah. It wasn't just Jesus, there were several others. And in each case, what happened was uh, the would-be Messiah gathered a group of people around them, made big claims, uh, Rome came and killed the guy, and then immediately the, the movement disbanded. For obvious reasons, dead messiahs are helpful to no one. The exception to that, obviously, is Christianity. That the Jesus movement, after his death, went crazy, went all over the place. And it went all over the place in spite of significant persecution. The Roman Empire famously persecuted the Christians, sometimes very, very uh, uh, severely, sometimes not very severely. But nevertheless, it was not an easy time culturally to be a Jesus follower. And yet in spite of that, in spite of the fact that many Christians died for being a follower of Jesus, Christianity showed remarkable resilience. And the interesting thing, from my view about it is that the type of Christianity that showed great resilience was one that was deeply shaped by the Sermon on the Mount. For instance, we actually have letters, I love this, we have letters between very, very frustrated Roman leaders, Roman pagan leaders, and very, very frustrated Roman pagan priests. And they write to each other about what are we gonna do about the Christians? And the thing they complain about, among other things, is that they're so hard to eradicate because they care for the poor and they love each other and there's these terrible things like that. The thing is, here was this group that was hearing Jesus' words and then putting them into practice and they were demonstra demonstrating a resiliency that was extremely difficult even for the Rome, Roman authorities with all of their power to snuff out. I simply say this to, to illustrate that when Jesus says, my teachings are a sure foundation in the midst of the storm, he's not playing. Or a little bit later in church history, uh, when Rome institutionalized Christianity as the state religion, that was a little bit of a good news, bad news joke. There was, there was a lot of good things, but there was a danger. And of course, the danger was that now that Christianity was in a place of prominence and influence, it could very easily, so to speak, shift its foundation from the rock, which is hearing Jesus and doing what he says, to the sand, which is hearing Jesus and acting like you're doing what he says. And right in the midst, when that was a great danger that the church often fell into, that was the moment that the first monks popped into existence and the first monasteries. And whatever you think about monks and monasteries, their, their whole, the whole point was to listen to Jesus and do what he said in very, very significant, powerful ways. And therefore, it was a return to this foundation. Imperfect, but they always are. 
And then centuries later, we could talk about how there came a time when the monasteries became increasingly corrupt, that they had kind of done the same thing, switched their foundation from hearing and doing what Jesus said to hearing and pretending like they were doing what Jesus said. And then those moments, movements like the Reformation and many others broke forth. But the thing that holds them together, the thing that holds resilient and vibrant Christianity together is always a return to this foundation, to hear what it is Jesus says, and then to put it into practice. I think the most, uh, one of the best modern examples would be Martin Luther King Jr. Isn't it remarkable that uh, right in the midst of Jim Crow South and in spite of a complacent and complicit North, Martin Luther King Jr. could stand, and, and he explicitly invoked the Sermon on the Mount, he could stand on a foundation that was more resilient than the great and powerful segregationist culture that was opposing him and that movement. Now, all of this is meant to simply say that when Jesus says his teaching is a foundation, that has played itself out in history. And on the other hand, when Christianity has kind of loses that edge, what happens is very quickly it becomes weak and flimsy and phony and false and easy to disregard. And sometimes it's good that it is disregarded. Now, those are kind of some big historical examples, but let me give you a personal one. There is something very powerful about an individual Jesus follower who hears what Jesus says and does something in the midst of the storm. In the mid-1950s, uh, there was a little girl in Southern California that walked out her backyard uh, door, and she saw her father in the chicken coop. They had chicken coops, and, uh, which is cool. Anyways. Um, and and she, she went and she wanted to see what her father was doing. He was not feeding the chickens. He was praying. Presumably, he was trying to find a place where he could be alone. Didn't work. But she could overhear what it is that he was praying, and he was praying out loud, and he was pouring out his heart to God, and he was saying, God, my marriage is about ready to crumble, and my family is falling apart. Save me, us. And he was in the midst of the storm. And he was a man who was acquainted with the storm. He had grown up uh, uh, largely in, a, in an orphanage in Kansas. Uh, he had uh, been abused there. Later, he went off to war. Uh, his firstborn child was born partially blind, and he never had very much money. Um, he, two marriages ended in the death of his wife. He was a man who knew the storm. But he was a Jesus follower. And the central theme of his life was hearing what Jesus said and then doing it. And I knew him because he was my grandfather. He lived to be 105 years old. And at the end of his life, when he could say nothing else, and he could remember nothing, the one thing he could say was, Hallelujah, Jesus Christ has been good to me. And all of his descendants, and there's a number of us, all of his descendants we're able to look at him and see the resilience of a foundation that can go through the storm and come out strong. Now, that's why I asked the question at the beginning. One of the key tests of your Christianity is, how does it hold up when the wheels come off? Do you have a foundation that lasts through the storm? All right, that's the first thing. The Sermon on the Mount 
provides a remarkably resilient foundation. The second is this, that resilience points to Jesus' authority. Um, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, everybody was wowed by the sermon, but the thing that they were wowed about was not so much the rigor of the ethical demands that Jesus placed on them, though they are remarkably high. The thing that captured their attention was his authority. This man speaks with authority, verse 29, not like the rabbis and the teachers of the law. Now, I want to point out that the resilience of Jesus' teaching, the fact that it stands in the midst of great adversity, is a sign that his authority is both real and trustworthy. First of all, it's real. Think about Martin Luther King Jr. again, because it's a great example. Why could he speak with such authority? If you look at his preaching and his speaking and his writing, he regularly points away, in terms of authority, he points away to the teaching of Jesus Christ, specifically to the Sermon on the Mount. And it's Jesus' authority that is able, that, well, you can see the reality of his authority precisely because it can stand, often apparently very weak, but it can stand in the face of enormous adversity. But not only can it endure, so to speak, the storm, it also can defeat the storm. That is, the storm itself ends up, it ends up vanquished in the process. And this authority is, a, is in a type of authority that you can trust. Remember, remember, friends, we've said this a lot of times, that when Jesus teaches the Sermon on the Mount, very, it's crucial, only Jesus can really pull this off. Only Jesus is the one who really lives the Sermon on the Mount. And that applies here. Only Jesus is the one who has walked into and been tested by the very, very worst storm. Um, if you're familiar with Christianity, you know that when we talk about Jesus' death, we don't mean simply that he was assassinated, right? I mean, we do mean that, that, that that's true, but it's not just that. We believe that Jesus was walking voluntarily into and weathering the storm of God's hostility against all evil in this world, which is a strange thing to say, I know, but come and talk to me later about it if you'd like. What he was doing is he was enduring the penalty of, of human uh, uh, evil, injustice, cruelty, all of that was coming down upon him in that moment, and there he stood under its weight. Now, even if that sounds strange, consider this. You can trust someone who is willing, willing to, surf, to suffer for you. And if you're going to trust any foundation that is going to get you through the storm, then trust a foundation that has proven itself in the very worst storm. And that's part of why this past Thursday, ascension is so important. Because when the disciples saw Jesus had risen from the dead, but then ascended to God's right hand and enthroned on high as, we believe, him to be the ruler over, over the world. When that happened, the disciples looked at him and said, there's a man who has gone through the storm. And if he has gone through the storm, then he has promised to keep us through the storm. I'm betting on him. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar is Lord. You see, the resilience 
of Jesus' teaching is a sign that his authority is real and that he's somebody that we can trust, so why wouldn't we? And finally, all of that calls us to action, right? Because, I mean, the obvious thing that Jesus is asking is, where's your foundation? Where is it? Is it on the rock, meaning hearing what Jesus says and putting it into practice, or is it on the sand, which means either just kind of rejecting him out of hand, or sort of, kind of, sort of, kind of. And if you, and one of the best ways to think about that is, is my foundation strong enough to endure through the storm? Now, if I ask it that way, the reality is every one of us, every one of us will say, (laughs) either no or not entirely or, gee, I hope so. And if that's the case, let me say this. The end of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, where's your foundation? Put your foundation on me. Must be read in in light of the very first part of the Sermon on the Mount, which is when Jesus says, the very first words he says is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The way in to having a foundation that will get you to the kingdom of heaven is poverty of spirit. What does that mean? Why is that helpful? It's very helpful because what it means is that the way to have, this is going to sound strange, one, the way to have a strong rock foundation is to first realize you're standing on sand. You realize that you're standing on sand, that to one way, extent, or another, you've said, yeah, kind of, or not at all. And you're looking down, and you're building your life on something other than Jesus Christ. All of us, even if you've been a Jesus follower for a long, long time, if you're honest and if the Holy Spirit is convicting you, that you will see some sand beneath your feet. And if that's the case, then what you do is you don't just muster up some moral amazingness. That's the technical word, amazingness. What you do is you you look at the sand and you say, hey, Jesus, I'm standing on sand. I am standing on sand. And maybe it's even quicksand because I'm a little deep in it. So what do I do, Jesus? Well, the wonderful thing is that poverty of spirit means we come renouncing our reliance upon the sand, renouncing our reliance on our own performed goodness, renouncing our reliance on our own cleverness, renouncing our reliance both, or actually bringing the Lord, both our doubts and our beliefs, our best and our worst, bringing all of it before Jesus Christ and saying, Jesus, here it is. I present all of this to you. I entrust you, I, I entrust myself to you. Build a new foundation. Give me the foundation I cannot I cannot create myself. And then what we'll find is that hearing and doing Jesus' teachings starts by faith alone. By knowing we need a new foundation. And then once that's there, then, then we're in a wonderful position to then begin to go, to go out and do. Not to earn, but out of joy that this foundation has been given to us. And if And as that emerges, we need to remember another part of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' teaching about salt and light. You remember Jesus says, I want you to be distinct and different from the world. But I want your distinctness and your difference to be for the world. 
for the good of the world, for the flourishing of the world, for the serving of the world. Just like the early Christians were different from Rome, but not so that they could be adversarial towards Rome, but so that they could care for the Roman poor and the sick and those who needed. Just like Martin Luther King Jr. was different from the majority culture at his time, um, not to be adversarial with the majority of culture. You can't listen to his teaching for very long without being allured by his kindness. His distinction was in order to serve, and that's what a Jesus follower does. When we are standing upon that foundation that is given by Christ and not earned, then we look out at the world. We look at those who still stand on sand, and we look at them not to point our fingers. Don't you ever let us point our fingers. No, Emmanuel, we exist to serve and to love and to say there's a foundation. Let me help you onto it. Let me serve you in the midst of where you're at. Let's be salt and light. And that is when the world will look at us and they will glorify the God in heaven because they will see his good works reflected in us. Amen. <laughs>